This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Genesis chapter 24. This is a very, <clears throat> this very important chapter. And by the way, it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. Uh, 67 verses long. And I'll say just a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. But, <clears throat> but anyway, um, there's, um, there's a lot in this chapter to cover today. And I'm positive, as is normal, normally the case, I won't get to all of the information that's here. But we'll go as far as we can. And you've got the rest of it in print anyway, so, so you can read it. Um, everybody get the handout. Anyone need a copy of the handout? All right, we had a we had a new one today. Join or this week, I got an email from someone that's been watching by live stream, and asked that they be added to the list of those getting the the information. And that's exciting to know that uh, people are interested in studying the Word of God, and uh, so uh, the person's name is Felicia, and. Um, I don't know who that is, but uh, welcome, Felicia. We're welcome to our class. Oh, is that you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> welcome to our class, Felicia. <laughs> I didn't recognize the last name. Okay. All right. You did get the information by email, didn't you? You haven't checked your email. All right. Well, I sent it. I think I sent it to you. If you didn't, let me know, okay? And I'll make sure, I'll make sure you get on, get on there. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, <clears throat> thank you so much for the privilege that we have today to study the Word of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that the Spirit of God will guide my thoughts today. And Lord, teach us something this morning that will help us to grow in Christ and to become more like the image of Jesus Christ, to help us to conform more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we commit this day to you, we commit this hour to you uh, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned a few moments ago that this chapter 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. To me, it's kind of interesting today that uh, it took these 67 verses uh, devoted to explaining or giving us the story of Isaac's wife. The whole chapter is about a wife for Isaac. It only took, um, it only took um, uh, 31 verses in Genesis chapter 1 for God to tell us about creation. Not that creation is less lesser important than what we're going to study today, because it's not, but <clears throat> I thought about that for a little while, and I, I thought, um, I, wonder, I wonder why that's the case. And then, um, as I studied the material and so forth, I realized why that's the case. Uh, maybe it's because there are so many important spiritual issues that are actually covered in this chapter, other than the fact than th that there was a wife for Isaac. And we're going to look at some of those issues today as we, as we progress through 
chapter 24. I hope you have read the entire chapter. My encouragement to you each week as I send these notes out by email is for you to read ahead. The reason for that is it would take half of the class time for me to read these 67 verses and there's so much material here to cover that I, I really don't want to take the time to read all of those verses to you, uh, trusting that you have read ahead. But there's one thing that I think that is an important point that's brought out in this chapter that we need to consider, and that is that it emphasizes separation. Uh, we need to be separated. Uh, we're Christians. We're, we are sanctified unto God, and that word sanctified itself means to be set apart. And so there are certain things in a Christian's life that we need to be separated from and that need to be separated from us. And we need to do, dil we need to do uh, diligence in making sure that that separation is maintained in our Christian life. Abraham made it very clear that his son was not to be married to a Canaanite woman. This is found in verse 3. In fact, just look at it. Um, Abraham was telling his servant here, he, he asked one of his, his eldest servant uh, to go and, and uh, find a wife for his son Isaac. And in verse 3 he says this, And I will make thee swear, the, uh, swear by the Lord, uh, by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Why is that the case? Well, there's a, there's a simple question, simple answer to that question, that the Canaanites were heathen. And it's very clear in the Bible, there's a, almost a whole chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, at least the first, seven, the first 11 verses of that chapter, that God, in his law, in the, in the Old Testament law, Mosaic law, told the Israelites that they were to stay away from the heathen, be separated from them. Do you realize that's a New Testament principle? And, um, and, and sadly, it's a principle sometimes that, that believers don't adhere to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us that we're not to be unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. And uh, in the context, you, you realize that, that uh, Paul there is dealing with several areas of our life, and one including marriage. Now, <clears throat> Uh, this, this will not particularly apply to this class at this point in time. Um, I, I don't see very many people here that are, that are contemplating getting married. Uh, most of us have been so for quite a while, uh, unless, uh, unless a God has taken your spouse home and and in that case, you may be. But, and then in that case, this principle would apply. But um, we're not, a Christian is not to marry an unbeliever. During the course of my ministry as a pastor, I've, I've had to deal with several instances where one of the spouses was a believer and the other was not. In some cases, it, this happened because uh, after the marriage took place, one of them got saved and the other one has not yet been saved. But then there were some cases where uh, they went into this situation knowing that, uh, that uh, one was a, a believer, a professed believer, 
and, and knew that the one that they were marrying is not a believer. And that always creates serious problems uh, within the home. Always. Now you say, well, it's kind of worked out for us. Well, um, <clears throat> I doubt it. But that's a principle in the scripture, a principle of separation. And that principle was applying in this situation where Abraham asked his elder servant, he said, I want you to go back to Mesopotamia where I came from. I don't want you to find a wife there for my son Isaac. I don't want you to get a wife from, uh, from the, the crowd that we're living among, that is the heathen, the Canaanites. And then other, another thing is that when the husband is Isaac, who happens to be the beloved son of Abraham, the narrative takes on a greater significance. Why? Because Isaac was the next, he was the next key, he was the next link in the process of the Messiah, coming a Messiah. And uh, if uh, Isaac had married a Canaanite, uh, we probably wouldn't be here today. But all this is within God's providence because God was in charge, seriously in charge. And, um, and uh, God saw to it that, that his promise that Abraham was going to become the father of a great nation, and we go back to chapter 12 that we looked at many weeks ago now, where God promised Abraham, or God promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations and bless all nations. And of course the reference there is the, to the coming Messiah. That uh, the Messiah would be in the lineage of Abraham and so on. And then also I think we have to consider that the chapter is more than just a record of history. It highlights theology. We see a wonderful picture in this chapter of the marriage of, <clears throat> of, uh, of God the Father uh, to his bride. Guess who that bride is? Anybody here a part of that bride? Yeah. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're a part of that bride because you're a part of the New Testament church. And uh, <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians and also in the book of Colossians, the church is referenced there as the bride of Christ. And so we see a wonderful picture of the, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, being wedded uh, to the bride which is the New Testament church. A wonderful picture, and that picture will unfold for us as, um, as we go through the lesson today. You know, the Bible actually tells us that as believers, that we are married to Christ. That's found in Romans chapter seven and verse four, if you wanna make a note of that. In fact, it's probably in your notes. That we are, we are married to Christ because we are a part of the New Testament church. There's going to be a marriage supper one of these days. Uh, this will take place during the millennium when the bride and the groom are brought together and a glorious picture of the relationship that we as a bride, as we as a church have with the bridegroom. Well, um, <clears throat> the elements involved in the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah they're pictured in the marriage of Christ and his church, and there are four pictures that we're going to look at this morning as we have time to get to them. And the first one is this, Roman numeral number one, the will of the Father. The will of the Father. 
This is the first nine verses of uh, chapter 24, and I think I'll read those nine verses, and the rest of them kind of, this is kind of a springboard that goes into the rest of the chapter, but beginning with verse 1 of chapter 24, says, And Abram was old. By the way, Abraham was, uh, uh, he was 140 years old now. Remember when he came out of the Ur of the Chaldees, he was how old? Remember? He was 75 years old. When he began serving God, when God called him, and the, and the scripture tells us that he believed in God and it was accounted to him for, for righteousness. When, when Abraham became a believer, he was 75 years old. Now he's 140 years old, and he's going to live for another 35 years. So when he died, he was 175 years old. So anyway, <clears throat> and Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto the elder, eldest servant of his house, and ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. This was the way, this was the way they had of uh, making a covenant and, um, <clears throat> for that attachment. And then verse 3 says, and I've already read this verse, but let's <clears throat> read it again. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife uh, unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. For thou shalt go unto my, my country, that would be back to Mesopotamia, where God called him. Um, uh, for thou shalt go unto my country, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto the land. Uh, must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? In other words, uh, this servant is saying to Abraham, how, Well, how about if this woman's not willing to come? I mean, after all, Abraham is asking him to go and pick out a woman <clears throat> to be a bride for his son, Isaac, a, a, a man that she would have never seen, really didn't know anything about. And, uh, well, what if she's not willing to do that? And, uh, uh, well, I have to come back and get Isaac and take him back. And they said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And that's a part of the covenant, which we'll see here in just a moment. Verse 6 says, And Abraham said unto him, <clears throat> Beware thou shalt, um, beware that thou shalt bring not my son thither again. You're not going to take him back to that old country. God called us out of that country. He doesn't belong there. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the Lord of heaven, which took, from my father, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. I've got that underlined in my Bible. He shall send his angel before thee. That's an important phrase. In other words, Abraham says, God will go with you. And remember we said, we identified this angel, which I believe is another appearance of the angel of the Lord, as being a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. God the Father said, no, I'm going to send God the Son with you. He'll direct you. Boy, that's great assurance, isn't it? Wonderful encouragement. And thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence, verse 8. 
And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, <clears throat> his master, and swear to him concerning this matter. So there's the will of God that's considered here. Uh, the first consideration that we have. Now, his great concern all these years, now 140 years of age, and so he's, he's well stricken in age, but, all that, but his concern right now in his old age is that he get a son, or he get a wife for his son Isaac, who is the promised descendant that's in direct line for the Messiah to come. And so he's concerned about that. Only then could God fulfill his covenant promise and bless Abraham with many descendants and give, give to Abraham not only the land, but give him many people and the family that God promised him. Only then could God fulfill the covenant or the promise that he made to him, Abraham back in chapter 12, the first three verses of, of chapter 12. And so this is all, in, you, you see the providence of God working, the hand of God working in all of this. And it's been amazing to me in our study here in, in these chapters of Genesis, the book of Genesis, of how God just puts everything together. And as you sit here before me this morning, I think if we don't get anything else out of this lesson today, is just understand that God's putting things together in your life. You may not like some of the things that God allows to come down to the course of your life in the process of putting things together. But he is. And it's wonderful to see God working out his plan and, and, and the, the motive of God and the working of God in such a wonderful way in our life. You know, we despair of life sometimes because we just don't understand why God does things. You know, we, we, we think a person is unspiritual if you ever ask God why. But do you realize that Jesus Christ himself asked God, the Father, why? When he was on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, I don't think it's unspiritual to question God, but if we allow those questions to control our life and to alter the course of our life as we're trying to answer those questions on our own. You know, some of those questions may not even be answered until you, until you get to an eternity. Because God hasn't promised to answer our questions. He's just promised to guide us. He's just promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And, um, and this is what God, this is what Abraham was assuring this servant of at this particular time. Well, Abraham made the eldest servant swear to three things. First of all, that he would not select a wife for Isaac among the Canaanite women. Secondly, that he would choose her from Abraham's relatives. And then thirdly, that he would not take Abraham back uh, to, um, uh, to his former home. And also, uh, Abraham gives his servant uh, some words, three words of encouragement here. I think that's interesting. It's in verses 39 through 41, verse 7, and then 39 through 41, excuse me, which we have not yet read. But, but anyway, first of all, uh, the first word of encouragement, he said, 
that God had, <clears throat> God had guided and blessed Abraham these, uh, uh, since, uh, for 65 years now, from, from the age of 75 now to the age of 40, uh, 140, and God has never forsaken him. Now we know from our study of Abraham that when his faith was weak, we know about Gerar, we know about the trip down into Egypt, we know that that wasn't necessarily in the will of God, and these were stumbling blocks for Abraham and his life. But then he learned something through all that. He said, you know, I can trust God. God's been so good to me. And so he assures his servant, he says, be all of these years, and he's not going to fail me now. And then the second word of encouragement, God had given Abraham a, a specific promise that his seed would inherit the land. And so that meant that he had to have a wife for his son in order for that to happen. And so he was confident that it would happen. And, uh, and then thirdly, the third sign of encouragement that he gave was that God was going to send his angel with him. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have God who's promised never to leave us nor forsake us? Even in the most difficult times of life, He's still there. He's still keeping his word. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, God said, Jesus said. And, uh, and he is. And so Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God's word. He knew, he knew how, to, how, how to apply the word of God in specific situations and specific decisions and so forth. But there's another thing that's important here. There are other things here we could talk about, but there's another, there's another thing to take note here. This is Roman numeral number two, the witness of the servant. This is verses 10 through 49. This is the bulk of this chapter, and I'm not going to read that. I just trust you've read ahead. But let's just talk about some things here. The witness of the servant. First of all, let's talk about this servant. He was the eldest servant that Abraham had, the oldest one he had. He was the most trusted servant that Abraham had. He was, he was over all of uh, Abraham's affairs. He probably was the um, chief administrator of his will, <laughs> if he had one. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, he, he was over all the, house, all the household affairs, and Abraham just had a lot of confidence in this servant. But it's kind of interesting, I think, or at least to me, that neither Abraham nor Isaac went to find the bride. That task was given to the servant, who was completely devoted to Abraham. In fact, so devoted to him that 19 times in this chapter, this servant calls Abraham, my master. That little phrase, those two words, my master, appear 19 times in, this, in these uh, uh, 67 verses. The servant got his orders from the master, and he never changed them. He, he got the orders. Abraham gave him orders, and he was faithful to carry out those orders. If you read, if you read those verses, if you've read those verses, you see he, was, he did exactly what his master told him to do. And... Uh, the servant got his orders from the masters. 
and he realized that he was going to have to give an account to his master. Um, now, how would he go about finding the right woman for his master's son? That's a good question. Um, the servant acted by faith, acted by faith in Abraham's God and the, and the God of Isaac. He believed the promise of God. He trusted in the uh, providence of God so much that he spent time in praying to God about this. And so there's the promise, the providence, and then the praying. And then you have to take note of the fact that while he was praying at that well, uh, God answered his prayer, even while he was still praying. Um, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24 is a good reference here. I won't take time to turn to it. But, but uh, even there, Isaiah says, while I was praying, God answered my prayer. You ever had that happen? Even while you were praying? God, you know, God knows the burden of your heart anyway. He knows what your needs are. He knows what your desires are. And uh, he just wants us to talk to him, you know. He just wants us to express our heart to him. And sometimes while we're in, even in the midst of prayer, God answers the prayer, and that's exactly what he did for the servant. And then secondly, notice the bride. In God's providence, he brought Rebekah to the well as the servant was praying. And, uh, and she did exactly what the servant had been praying about. And the servant did what Gideon would have done years, uh, years later. He put out a fleece. Um, you ever put out a fleece? You know what Gideon did? Uh, God called Gideon to be a deliverer. He said, Gideon, I want you to save Israel. I want you to be a deliverer from the Philistines for Israel. And um, uh, God said, Gideon, Gideon. And Gideon said, who, me, Lord? You talking to me? And uh, God said, yeah, Gideon. I, said, I want you to, I've got a job for you. Me? Yeah, you, Gideon. And uh, what is it, Lord? Now, now, you have to understand this is the Coles translation that we're getting this from, okay? Uh, you won't read this in the King James unless you read between the lines and you'll get it. Um, uh, what is it you want me to do, Lord? Well, I want you to save Israel. They're in danger. The, the Philistines are at hand. And, uh, and I want you to save Israel. And uh, Gideon said, if you mean me, Lord, you got the wrong guy. That, uh, that may be the Cole's translation, but that's exactly what Gideon was thinking. And, uh, and Gideon said, well, let's just try this out here. Let's test it. Lord, if you want me to be a savior, he said, I'm going to put a fleece out. You know what a fleece is? It's a, it's a wool um, blanket kind of thing. I don't know how big it might be. But he said, I'm going to put a fleece out here. And Lord, if, if, if this is really what you want, then what I want you to do, Lord, is I want, you to, I want you to bring the dew and let the fleece be wet and the ground all around it be dry. God said, okay. He probably said it with that tone of voice too. Okay. And so Gideon put the fleece out and he got up in the morning and lo and behold, the fleece was soaking wet. And the ground around it was bone dry. It was so wet 
that the Bible tells us there in, in, uh, in Judges, uh, what chapter is Judge chapter 6. He says that he wrung the fleece out and filled up a whole bowl with it. I don't know how big the bowl was, but probably a bucket, you know. It was so, so wet. I mean, God made it so clear. And Gideon said, I don't believe this. Let's try this again, Lord. He said, okay, I'm going to put the fleece out again tonight. And let the dew this time wet the ground all around the fleece and let the fleece be dry. So Gideon got up the next morning and the ground was soaking wet. And there wasn't a drop of dew on the fleece. And so Gideon got the message. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, by the way, uh, the servant did the same thing. He sat on the edge of the well, Lahar Roy. We ran into that well um, earlier in our study. Sat on the edge of the well. And he said, okay, God, said, I'm going to sit here. And uh, if, uh, if, there's a, if there's a young lady come and, um, and, and, uh, to draw water, and I say, I, I'd like to have a drink, and she, she offers to give me a drink of water, and then if she offers to feed all these camels that we have here, she had 10 camels. They had 10 camels in their, in their group. And if she, if she offers to, to water the camels, then I'll take, it, I'll take it as a sign from you that this is the gal that, that uh, Isaac should have as a wife. That's a fleece. Same thing as Gideon did. Now let me ask you a question. Is that a, is that a good way to test God? You ever done that? You ever say to God, God, I'm going to do this, and if it turns out this way, then I'll take it that this is your will. I have to, I have to, I have to be honest about that. I've done that. And, uh, but you know what? I don't think it's a good thing to do to ascertain the will of God. You know why? It's because when we put out a fleece like that, as Gideon did, and even as this servant did, um, we're dictating the terms of the situation to God. We're saying, God, this is the way I want it. And if it turns out like this, then I'll take it as your will. That's not the way to determine the will of God, folks. If you're, if you're in a habit of putting out fleeces, now God may have answered that. God may have honored your ignorance. He honored my ignorance. He honored Gideon's ignorance. I can just imagine the sovereign God sitting in heaven when Gideon said, well, I'm going to test this. And he did. He made it very clear on the first test, you know, but very clear. I mean, I, that fleece was soaked. And Gideon said, I don't, I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you. We're going to do this again. Or we're just going to revert. I can imagine God sitting in heaven and said, you dummy. All right, I'll go along with your little party. I don't think the sovereign God said that, but but it wouldn't doubt me. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't. It, I wouldn't doubt at all that uh, maybe it crossed his mind. So I don't believe that's a good way to ascertain the will of God. We don't dictate conditions to God. We we just accept God's condition, God's conditions, and obey them. And trust his will. Remember last week uh, in our lesson that we came to the conclusion that 
that uh, we, we don't uh, we don't determine the will of God by our feelings, but rather, but rather by God's promises. How do I know I'm saved? Because I feel saved. You know, when I first got saved years and years and years and years and years and years ago, I did have a feeling. So much so that when, <clears throat> when I got up from that little pile of corn in the corn crib where I got saved, I cried, I wept, I was happy, I, I just rejoiced in the Lord. Wasn't anybody else around? I don't know whether I shouted or not. I don't think I did, but... <clears throat> but I was happy, and for days, man, I was just on top of it. And then a few days after that, my emotions changed. I'm not sure what happened, but my emotions changed. I didn't feel saved anymore. Was I still saved? I didn't feel it. And you know what? For almost a whole year, I went through my Christian life Wondering if I was really saved because I lost the feeling. I was brought up in a church where <clears throat> I wasn't taught, I wasn't discipled, put it that way. I wasn't discipled. And uh, I wasn't taught that our salvation, our salvation doesn't depend on how we feel, it depends on what God has promised us. And so when I placed my assurance in my feeling and my feelings left or feelings changed uh, as far as I was concerned maybe my salvation changed too and it wasn't until my freshman year at Bob Jones University during the first opening revival uh, meeting services uh, Dr. Bob Jr. was preaching and he preached on the assurance of salvation that God just kind of turned the light on and all of a sudden realized you know what I've been trusting my feelings my feelings change, but the promise of God never changes. And I want to tell you if, you, if you doubt your salvation somewhere along the line, the devil delights in that. I'm sure that most Christians at some time have had a little doubt about it, you know, but, but you have to put your, your assurance, you have to put your faith in the promise that God gave you, not in the feelings that you have. You see, God says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sounds like a promise to me, doesn't it? And there are many other promises in the scripture just like that. If you believe, if you put your faith in Christ, you're on your way to heaven, period. There's nowhere in there in the, in the presentation of the gospel says anything at all about our feelings. So anyway, um, how'd I get off on that? I don't know. Uh, so there's the bride. Um, little did Rebecca know that doing a humble task for a stranger like feeding, uh, 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 giving water to those, ca to those camels and, and to uh, the, serv the servant himself. Little did she understand that uh, that would lead her to become the bride of, the, of a wealthy man who was in a covenant relationship with God. She became the mother of Jacob, 
And he was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that, there was the blessing went out to all people. She didn't, she didn't know anything about that at the time. Um, there was a man, a person that, was, that is identified as Mar, Marsden, M-A-R-S-D-E-N. We don't really know who the man is, but he would identify himself as Marsden. But he wrote this. He said, make every occasion a great occasion, for you can never tell when somebody may be taking your measurements for a larger place. Now stop and think about that for a moment. That's where Rachel was. That servant was there to measure her up for a greater task. And when God allows things to come into our life sometimes, we, we, don't, we, we may not fully understand that he's just measuring us up for a greater place to serve, a greater service. Maybe that's the reason that um, um, my mind is failing me. I just preached a message on this guy a couple weeks ago uh, down in someplace, North Carolina. Uh, who play, Jabez. Jabez asked God to, to enlarge his borders. You know, I have an idea before God actually enlarged his borders that God kind of sized him up a little bit to see if he could fit in those borders. And that's what he's doing for each one of us. He said, well, I'm an, old, I'm an old person. I don't care how old you are, how young you may be. God still is sizing us up for something more. Something more. Something more. And so the, ser the servant was evaluating Rebecca to see if she would make a good wife for Isaac. He observed her kindness, her pleasant deportment, her humility, her healthy being, and her hard work. Watering ten camels was not an easy job. After a long journey, a thirsty camel might drink as much as 40 gallons of water. That's a lot of water, brother. Forty gallons. Multiply that ten times. That's a lot of work. And you know what? In those days, those wells, you know, you ha they had to go down into those wells to fill those pots. Uh, and Rebecca had to do that. Uh, she was very industrious. And so the servant was kind of sizing her up. And then, um, and then he, he asked this question in verse 23 of 24, chapter 24. Whose daughter art thou? That's a good question too. In fact, it's a key question for any suitor to ask. Uh, the servant was interested in, in her family, of course. But the question was a, had a wider application for believers today, both men and women. Are you a child of God? Have you been born again into the family of God? And what a tragedy is when believers marry unbelievers and they don't have that assurance. They don't know what family they belong to. Um, that's why it's so important. So that brings us to letter C. Letter B was the bride. Letter C is the family. Rebecca took her gifts. She ran home to tell her family about the, the generous stranger. Uh, he needed a place to stay overnight. You know, hospitality was one of the first laws of the, of the East at that time, that, 
their homes were open. They, they would open their homes even to strangers to stay with them at that time. They didn't have motels. They didn't have a Holiday Inn or, or, um, or um, Hampton Inn or someplace. And, and so it was kind of a, it was an honor to, to invite a stranger into your home to be a guest. And so, and so she, was, uh, she was excited about that. Uh, her brother Laban, um, uh, he, he noticed that, um, uh, he, uh, in fact, he was exposed in verse 30. Let's read verse 30 here. I know it's here in my Bible somewhere. Here it is. Um, and it came to pass uh, when, she, when, when he, Laban, he's talking about Laban. Let's go back to verse 29. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto them <clears throat> uh, unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelet upon his sister's hands, and when he, when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, uh, Thus spake the man unto me, and that he came, un, he came unto the man, and, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. Uh, the first thing he noticed was uh, how all, all the riches of this, of this uh, servant. And by the, well, in, by the way, in the interim here, uh, the servant had had uh, told Rebecca that um, what, what his mission was, or at least partially what his mission was, was to find a bride for his master's son. And uh, so he gave her, at that point, uh, some earrings and bracelets and so forth, which was um, kind of like a marriage dowry. And, uh, and Laban came out of the house and, and saw all that, and that was what he was interested in. Um, he wasn't quite interested. He wasn't as interested in the other spiritual aspects of the thing. Uh, he was interested to see that, uh, that um, his sister was about to become wealthy, perhaps. And uh, so his character there was exposed uh, about these expensive gifts uh, that, the <clears throat> that was showing. And then, of course, Isaac and Rebekah's son, Jacob, discovered in later years uh, the clever rogue that he really was back as we get further into the book of Genesis, Genesis 29 through uh, 31, we'll see that. But anyway, the servant wouldn't, wouldn't eat until his mission was known. So in, in verse 33, he says, And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I'll not eat until I have, I have told mine errand. And he, and he said, speak on. And, uh, and he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he hath given, his, him, flo he had given him flocks and herds and silver and gold. I bet Laban, is, I bet his ears are perking up a little bit more now. And, and, uh, and manservants and maidservants and camels and asses. And Sarah's my, Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son to, to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. And my master made, made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to the son of the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose, hand, in whose land I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my father's house and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son. 
And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord before whom I will, whom I walk, uh, will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way, and thou shalt take a wife for thy son, my son, and my kin, uh, from my of my kindred and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from this my this my oath, and thou. This my oath, when thou comest to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, um, thou shalt be clear from the oath. So anyway, before he would eat, he revealed his mission to, um, uh, to uh, Rebecca's family, to let them know why he was there. And, um, and that, that brings us then to Roman numeral number three the willingness of the bride. And the last 10 verses deal with the willingness of the bride. And let me read those 10 verses before we get into it here. Uh, beginning at verse uh, 50. Then Laban and Beth Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. In other words, as the servant revealed his mission, they said, you know, this is of God. Uh, the fact that you've come all this distance, um, about almost 500 miles from Canaan to Mesopotamia, uh, almost a thousand miles round trip, um, you've come all this way, and um, and they recognized that this was not a vain trip. They said, this must be of God. And behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. And let her be thy master's, master's son's wife, as the Lord spoken. It came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard these words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah, uh, he giveth also to her, her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, and he and the man that were, men that were with him and tired all night, and they rose up in the morning and said, Send me away unto my master. And um, her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, and after that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may, that I may go to my master. And they said, Well, we'll call the damsel and require of her. Inquire of her. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, thou art, thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gates uh, of those that hate, that hate thee. And, uh, and so she was willing to go. Rebekah's brother and her, and her mother were willing to let her go, but they wanted her to stay, hang around for a little while. At least 10 days. Uh, don't go yet. Uh, let's have some time to 
get acquainted with you, servant. And let's find out a little bit about who Isaac is. You know, that's a normal response. Uh, any mother would want her daughter to hang around for a little while, wouldn't she? And so it's not an unreasonable uh, sound, uh, uh, response. It was rather natural request. And of course, they were obligated, uh, they were delighted with the wealth that the servant had given to them for, the, for a marriage dowry. And, uh, and no doubt, they wanted to hear more about Isaac. They wanted to hear more about the home where Rebecca would be, would be spending the rest of her life with him. And so it was kind of a natural thing. But you remember back in the fore part of the chapter, we read that, that um, the servant was uh, in haste, just as he would not delay in presenting his petition back in verse 33. Uh, he wouldn't eat until he, until he made known his mission. And so, he would not delay his completing of the mission. He said, no, we need to go now. You know, when the Lord's at work, it's time to move forward. Uh, we like to drag our feet sometime when God's working, and, and um, God says, no, I want you to go. I want you to go. And so he asked that Rebecca make the choice, and she replied, said, okay, I'll go, I'll go. You know, this is the decision that every sinner has to make in his lifetime, to be married to Christ and to share a home in heaven with the Lord. And uh, if, if you've never responded to the Lord, maybe you've been presented the case, the mission, and you've just kind of put it off, said, well, uh, give, me, give me a little time. Well, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time that God wants you to respond. And uh, maybe there's somebody watching by live stream this morning. And maybe you've had the opportunity to, to hear the gospel, but you've never responded to it. And you say, just give me a little bit more time. Well, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and verse 15, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden your hearts. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, as we said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And uh, these things are too important to put off. At the closing of an evangelistic service, this has been years and years ago, in a crusade in Fort Worth, Texas, Dr. George W. Truitt He's now with the Lord, but at that time, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church, where Jeffers is now pastor there at that church in Dallas. He said to a great crowd in that crusade, he said this, quote, Satan does not care if men and women come to the house of God and to a public service such as these and are attentive and serious and deeply moved if only they will let the religious opportunity pass and be unimproved. Oh, how, oh, how, dreadfully, uh, how, dreadfully, uh, how dreadful possibility, how, oh, oh, dreadful possibility that religious opportunity may come and pass by and the, and the highest thing of the soul be lost and forfeited forever. Uh, you know, the devil doesn't mind if you go to church. If, uh, that is, as long as you sleep through the sermon. 
or hear the sermon and then don't respond to it. That's okay for the devil. The devil doesn't care, you know, if, uh, if you are presented with the gospel. He just doesn't want you to respond to it. As long as you don't respond to it, you know, uh, the devil's happy. He's okay. And that was the, tru that was the crux of, of, um, of Truett's message. Charles Spurgeon made this statement in a sermon. He said, ten days did not seem uh, too long. But they might have been ten days so too late. One day does not seem much, but one day more may be one day too late. And one day too late is to be too late forever. Yea, one moment too late is an eternity too late. Think about that for a while. That's, uh, it's very clear that God had chosen Rebekah for Isaac. Uh, his providential leading seems to be in every step of the way in this. And yet Rebecca had to make the choice. She had to choose. She had to say, I will go. I will go. There are no conflicts between the divine sovereignty of God's plan and the human responsibility of man's choice. You know, we hear a lot about the sovereignty of God and the choice of man. The... the um, human accountability of man. You hear a lot about that. You got the Calvinists on one say that it's all of God. You know, God's sovereign. God chooses everything. And then you got the Arminians on the other say, no, 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 it's all man. Man's got to do it all. I like what Spurgeon said one time. Spurgeon was considered a Calvinist, but he was not a hyper-Calvinist. But he made a statement. I've got a paper written by Spurgeon a copy of the paper that Spurgeon writ on this issue. And in that paper, he said this. He said, there is in the Bible the truth of the, of the eternal sovereignty of God and the eternal responsibility of man. And he says they, they go out like railroad tracks side by side and come together somewhere at the throne of grace. And so God is sovereign but man is responsible. We're responsible to choose. A lost sinner should not ask the question, am I one of God's elect? And the admonition to make your calling at election sure was not written, it was not written to unbelievers, it was written to believers. And so the question that a lost sinner should ask, what must I do to be saved? That's the question that needs to be asked. And so that brings us to the last point, number four, Roman numeral number four, the welcome of the bridegroom. And we see this in verses uh, 61 through 67. And you're going to have to read all of that for yourself because my time is up. And I hope you'll read it. I hope you read it. All right? Our Father, we do thank you so much for the picture that we see in this chapter of the wedding of the bride with the bridegroom. We anticipate that day when that becomes a reality for us, when the great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, and, and uh, when the, the bride and the bridegroom, when Jesus Christ returns to receive his bride, 
we look forward to that. Maybe it's today. And I hope it's today. But anyway, encourage us and challenge us with this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.